Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kale and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. We are so thrilled to have you, and uh, it's been a couple of weeks. I've had to take care of some things, but I'm back, and I'm with my co-host, Cynthia Ko. Cynthia, how are you, my friend? Hey, hey, I am still on a food coma, so it's yeah. after Thanksgiving, and I'm g- glad to be here. Yeah, it's Friday. It's 1 p.m. We're all sort of filled with tryptophan and, and all the accoutrement from our, our dinners. Very excited. You know, uh, if you are new to the show, welcome. Every week we bring in these amazing veterans that have a remarkable story and have just one extra thing in their resume and that's service to our country. And no nowhere else can you find uh, you know, a show like this where we get to know these incredible people. And this week, I'm excited because we have Larry Stokes of LSA Veterans Benefit Consulting. That's a mouthful, sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. And, and thank you for the invite. I yeah. really appreciate it. Uh, being here. Thanks. We're, we're thrilled to have you, sir. Uh, you know, we all start sort of each show with understanding your, your time in the service, what, what led you into the service and what you did while you were there. Oh, great. So, uh, my time in the service, I spent 20 years in the Navy. I was a hospital corpsman. I later retired as a, as a, um, physician assistant, um, from the DC area. Uh, what led me into the Navy was my uncle, who was also a Master Chief Corpsman. I remember when I was young, and I was doing something I had no business in the back of his house, and and I wound up cutting my hand, and he stitched me up, and I thought I didn't know he was a doctor or anything, and he said, no, he was a hospital corpsman. He learned that in the military, and I said, that, that's what I want to do, just yeah. from him. Wow. So anyway, he kind of guided me in, in the military from the time I got out of boot camp to the hospital corps school until... I went a little further, wanted to further my education as an independent duty corpsman, and later want to get more clinical experience. So it all came because of him. And I, in fact, I just finished visiting him. He's in South Carolina, <laughs> retired, and, uh, and just thanked him for, uh, you know, for guiding me down that pathway. I'm always excited to talk to a fellow Navy person. I, I of course, uh, served in the Navy as well. Uh, I'm really curious about, uh, you know, when you were when you got in as a hospital corpsman. What what about that process or the schooling or once you got to the command? What surprised you about all that? I think things surprised me. Coming from the area where I came from, I came from Northern Virginia. I just didn't feel uh, as, when I went through high school. You know, I was just an average student. <laughs> I didn't like being in high school. I remember the time I was graduating, they wanted to go to college. I said, oh. I said, I don't like high school. I don't know. I'm not going to college. So anyway, military and. And, uh, and talking with my uncle there, and he mentioned, you know, a hospital course school, you know, you got to know the anatomy and physiology. And I said, school's for brainiacs. I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cut the mustard. Uh, but got there, and I started getting excited about the things that we were going over. And I really took a keen interest. And I grad- I was an graduate of my hospital course school. <laughs> and so, I mean, I was looking academically, you'd probably be the most likely one to even make it through the program. Yeah, and, my interest scores and everything. It's all about people's interest and how they take on things. And I just got a, took a keen interest and 
yeah, and I just kind of did what I had to do, and then next thing you know, I was I was undergrad. <laughs> That's awesome. So it it was yeah. So it turned out great. It turned out great. And did you go through uh, Great Lakes, San Diego, or Orlando? Uh, great Lakes. I did Great uh-huh. Lakes uh, in a dead winter. Um, that's what my. That's what I did. That's amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> great. Yeah, I've never seen that much snow in my life coming from no. over. I know it's snow, but Great Lakes is like. I don't know if, you, if you're from the DC area. You know, this big city building you got snow. Yeah. You yeah, know, Larry. I'm. I'm here in. Building. I'm here in the D.C. area now, and I'm disappointed that there isn't more snow, but I grew up uh, north of Lake Ontario on in the Toronto side, Ontario, oh, and wow. so I, I know that area quite well in the winters. I mean, we're... We're a bunch of crazy Canucks up there. The more the more snow, the happier we are, right? But uh, you know, it's it's awesome to meet somebody else that's kind of gone through the same experience and has traveled a bit and gone through that military duty. And you don't know this, but my oldest son just got out of the uh, army as a combat medic, so he's the Navy corpsman equivalent over in the army. It's awesome. Oh wow! Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. Great Lakes is one of those places where um, <clears throat> you, you it's flat. I mean, I've never. I'm a California guy, so I. We have hills and mountains and stuff. So going to Illinois was an experience. <laughs> when you when you left, uh, yeah, it really was. When you left uh, Illinois, what was your first command? My first command was uh, well, an intermediate command. First command was the Naval Hospital Jacksonville. But prior oh. to going to Jacksonville, uh, they wanted volunteers to go with the Marines. So the Marines, we provide the Marines their medical. Uh, we we provide their their medical uh, you know, uh, services. So the male hospital corpsman had to do a stint in uh, Camp Lejeune and they was looking for volunteers and nobody raised their hand out of cut course school. So, they, <laughs> so the officer in charge said, we're going to take every other male corpsman starting with you, Mr. Stokes. <laughs> I said, no, no, that's not fair. <laughs> so, so I was kicking and screaming. I reported to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina and the dead went out. January 3rd was my report date. So oh, I was, not a happy camper, but I discovered that duty with the Marines was was awesome duty. I you know, those you know you've been a corpsman with the Marines. Uh, those guys they really look after their their we call they call their docs, mm-hmm. and that was that was a great experience. That was a really great experience working with Marines. Did you ever make it out to the fleet? Yes, I did. So after finished hospital corps school, uh, I mean uh, going field med school, Naval Hospital Jacksonville. I got out for a stint going to school, came back in just to go to independent duty school in Portsmouth, Virginia. And from there, my first ship was in San Diego uh, on the West Coast there um, on a frigate, FFG-9, the USS Wadsworth. I was on F- uh, uh, I- FFG-29 and 26. Yeah, that's why I discovered I may have made a mistake in joining the wrong service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, they do. They don't tell you that what what FFG really means, right? Right. This little ship, I, I never knew I get seasick. So yeah. I, here I am. The I am the independent duty corps. My first time out, we went out for six weeks. I spent more time in my own shop, <laughs> and and I had to actually start an IV. I had to put an oh, IV wow. in my own arm because I was so dehydrated. Oh man, I never. I, I just kept throwing up. I just couldn't. I said, oh, I mean, when we, when we moored, we came back to to the uh, San Diego. I said, oh, no, I'm off of this. I said, I, I got to get out of the Navy. I said, this, yeah. is, this is wrong. I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. But you, it gets better. 
Yeah. It gets better. You know, if you've been on the ship, it gets better. It really does. Yeah. We went so through that was her- my first experience of it. We went through Hurricane Opal in Mississippi because I was stationed down in Mississippi. After that, I never got seasick ever. Oh, we, we, yeah. I remember Opal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we had waves going so over O3 level and then, uh, and, and just throwing up like crazy. And our captain, he, I don't know what kind of captain you had, but we had an old school captain who would get in the bridge and close all the doors and then smoke a pipe. So we'd be throwing up <laughs> with because of the seasickness, but also throwing up because this guy's hot box in the bridge with his pipe. It was just ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I had one of those captains as well. Yeah, yeah, we had one. I don't know. We we, we went up to Alaska, and oh, we got caught. We our, this little captain, he he's trying to outrun a typhoon. Oh no! And <laughs> and we didn't we did not make it. And I mean, you said the bow of the ship was just going. Seemed like we were going underwater like a submarine and coming back up. And it was people were so sick on that. I mean, we wound up cracking our superstructure and, oh, and we took on water. Wow. Yeah, we took on water and, and the captain got relieved. He got relieved as soon as we got to Japan. I would imagine. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, got, yeah. How, what yeah. other uh, ships did you get to go on other than the uh, the FFP? So after that, uh, I went um, uh, on the uh, a cruiser, a guided cruiser, uh, the USS Gettysburg. Out of uh, Mayport, yep, Mayport, Florida. Yeah, that was pretty fun ship. We we did a, I did a lot. That's when we spent that's uh, in endurance. We <laughs> we spent seventy three consecutive days on the water, <laughs> just making figure eights out there in the Gulf. <laughs> yeah, no land. I mean, we we didn't make a port visit. We did make a port visit to Bahrain. We were yeah. on there for two days. Then we back out for another thirty or sixty days again. <laughs> so. That so Larry, was uh, that was very interesting. Yeah. With all that time you spent on ships, at what point did you have time to transition to PA school, or did you get picked so up? So, so here's what happened with PA school. So prior to going to the Gettysburg, I was here in Washington D.C. at George Washington University, mm-hmm. uh, just about to graduate, and I had already put my packet in for commissioning, and I found out they were putting PAs on ships. And I said, oh, no, I'm not going back on another ship. I said, I'm, I'm a single parent. And I told here, I'm thinking I'm being defiant. I said, well, I'm not going to take the commission. I pulled my packet. And the guy said, no, you have to. You're a PA. You have to go commission. I said, nope, I pay for school. I don't know if you, if you remember in the Navy, they had the old enlisted advancement education program. They let you out of school for two years to go to school. Yep. Oh, okay. I went under that program. It was not, I had to remind them, it was not a direct commissioning. I said, it was my option. Mm-hmm. And so they said, "Well, if you don't go, we're gonna put you on a ship anyway." We just okay. I I was an IDC when I left. I'm a physician assistant. It's not gonna change my job <laughs> title. So anyway, that's when they put me sent me to the Gettysburg after IDC school. Uh, I was a I was a PA, but I came back in as a chief. I didn't take the commission, so I served the my final two years of going to school, and I got out. Oh, that's interesting. I've never so you heard got of out that. as a chief. Yeah. Then that's a yeah, I got. That's great. I got a, got as a I got as a chief because I, I had an option. I can do ten years as a commission officer or two years to pay them back the time they went to school. Yeah. I thought, okay, I'll do the two, and that's when I was on and I got that time on the Gettysburg, and that was a, that was two years. Was quite a interesting experience. We uh, I don't even remember years ago when the the uh, the cruise line the Killy Laurel. I mean the okay. Killy Laurel sounds familiar. Back then they. they yeah, there's a cruise. There's an Italian cruise liner. They um, they uh, they sank. Uh, they came and they, they had a fire. They had a fire on the ship. 
and we just happened to be off the coast of Africa and we um, um, assisted them and and getting folks off the ship. Man, we first went, I got called to the captain's stateroom. He said, the initial, because the, the ship apparently was sabotaged. So the main crew had departed the ship and the a lot of passengers were still on board the ship and there was no medical support. So the goal was, and we had orders to, to go near the ship and and they were going to helo me onto the Kili Laurel and provide medical supply. I mean, so medical support. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I was in the combat systems and I can look, you can see the ship is on fire. And I was a captain, the ship is on fire. <laughs> and you're going to lower me down on the ship and it's on fire and it's listening by 30 degrees. I said, I don't think so. He said, he said, doc, get your gear, meet you in the helo hangar. And they was attempting to lower me down on that ship. And it got to the point it got to, you know, it was just too hazardous and we called it off. Anyway, we wound up picking the passengers out of the war and they came on board our ship. And imagine on a cruiser, we already got, close to 400 men on the ship already. And we had additional two, 300 civilian passengers. And mind you, I'm only one, there's only one medical person, that's me. And I got a couple of junior corpsmen. And for three days before we got them to, where we can debark them off of Djibouti, uh, where the UN came came in and helped out. But I was a sole source provider for all those people (laughs) for well over two days uh, from the Kili Laurel. Wow. So, long story short, I got I got a lifesaving medal from that adventure out there. That's <laughs> amazing. You so, definitely got so to put your skills to good use. Oh, I did. I mean, trying to talk to these folks and I uh and they nobody spoke English. So mm-hmm. that was it was just interesting. And you see folks uh, I was getting calls about, you know, just the facial hand gestures and everything. Uh we had one guy who went to full cardiac arrest uh that I didn't think was gonna survive, but he did. See, on our ship we got a healthy crew. I don't have ICU equipment, and we can do CPR only for a minute. Um, but uh, he came, we did CPR, he came around. Um, and wow. I was able to monitor him, and we, we got him off. So, still got letters from him. I get, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess first you're going off of symptoms. Sorry about that. Yeah, going, you, you're actually going off of symptoms. And my first letter, he was so happy when he, when he got back to, he got back to, he was German. So, he sent me a letter, and uh, he was so happy to be alive. He said, he, this man has six daughters. He sent me pictures. He said, you can choose any one of my daughters to take us a wife. <laughs> I said, thanks for the offer. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm married, but <laughs> your daughters are very nice. <laughs> so that was funny. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any translators to work with? Or I guess in that case, it was a, it was an emergency. So it was an yeah. emergency. I can yeah. tell, I can see broken bones. It was burned. It was uh, a lot of, a lot of scrapes and burns. Uh, did a lot of suturing. Uh, quickly went through my supplies, and uh, yeah, it was that was quite an ordeal. Just imagine this: just like being in an emergency room here in DC, and you there's only one ER doctor, <laughs> and everybody's coming in there. So it was just it was very very hectic, but uh, but we got through it. I uh, sure. so one part in being in the Navy, you train people to do. You know, people got collateral duties, and I had to pull in my stretcher bearers. You know, we, you know, from, you know, I was being in the Navy there, you know, you, we prepare for battle. So I had to train certain people who are non-medical types to be stretcher bearers. And those guys, not trained to put in, they put, you know, they know how to take vital signs. They know how to put in IVs. They know how to draw blood. They know how to stop bleeding. They know how to do basic first aid. So I had to enlist their help when we, when we took on all those passengers. So it turned out, you know, we didn't lose anyone and everybody, everything turned out well. It's amazing. Talk yeah, about. Talk, sorry, go ahead, Cynthia. 
tell me a little bit about like how you transitioned into civilian life. Civilian life. So from retiring, um, I initially thought I would be uh, going to civilian world as a physician assistant um, here in the DC area. And I soon discovered that physician assistants in the civilian world in the military are, are accepted. Uh, they're so different. Mm-hmm. So in the military, I got full autonomy, you know, even as an independent duty corpsman, more so as a, as a PA. So in the civilian sector, not so. They, their acceptance of PAs was still not there. And I remember going, I was working this private practice in Vienna, Virginia, and uh, and I overheard this lady say, I don't want to see a PA, I, I, you know, I want to see a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right there, it kind of it hit me. I said, this lady has no idea what the training I went through. And that term, assistant, really doesn't do justice to what, you know, you basically take uh, medical school that uh, takes you four years. Uh, physician assistant school is, is two years, but you take the exact same classes okay. that they take. Your rotations are shorter, but you take them out. Your, your classes are more compact and you take them back to back and they get passed or fail. We get letter grades. So, but the classes, the classwork was the same. So anyway, it's a really, you know, ridiculous course of study. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I got through it. Well, when, so, when somebody say he's just a system, that kind of really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I said, okay, well, also, I got to find something else to do. Yeah, and they don't know what you've been through. They don't know your veteran experience and all of the hands-on experience that you have, you know. And it's the same exactly. thing with, with my exactly. son getting out. I mean, that's how I right. got to know your organization was um, he had some issues um, getting out of the service and kind of uh, getting the benefits. So um, got in touch with one of your guys over at your office um, but, you know, for sure, like what he's been experiencing is that the training the military gives you, especially as a combat medic, you are you are diagnosing, you're treating, you're, you know, the only one that's the mobile ER, <laughs> you know, out in the field. Right, exactly. And then when you come back to the civilian world, there's definitely this jarring experience because you have all that training, but it doesn't necessarily translate into the civilian world, even though you have all of those skills. Correct. You're absolutely you're so right. <laughs> and that's yeah, that's what I encountered when I got out, uh, even being a licensed PA. So mm-hmm. uh, I transitioned a little. So I, I I saw an ad for VA. They were looking for people with medical backgrounds to rate disability claims. And that's okay. This sounds promising. <laughs> so they teach you the 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 legal side of you know to rate disability claims based on medical fact. And I felt that to be a perfect marriage for me. Uh, all the experience I got in the, in the Navy, the medical experience, and he taught me this, you know, the the, uh, the legal side uh, to write these disability decisions uh, was was huge. I mean, I <laughs> I couldn't imagine the folks who now, you know, to your veteran listeners out there, you know, uh, who who went through this VA system and and applied for benefits. You can see some, some reason. I saw a reason why. You know, so many people are being denied why the process is so cumbersome because of the, you know, was designed initially before I got involved, you did not have to have a medical background to rate disability claims. So you had people on the rating board with no medical training, you know, and that they came up through the ranks. They used to be analysts, file clerks or whatever. They qualify for a position. They don't train them as a bureau rating, rating wow. specialist. And here they're rating these folks are coming back, putting in disability claims for illnesses and injuries. And you get folks who don't have a good, under, a strong understanding of medical facts, writing a legal decision about mm-hmm. you 
and who don't understand what they're writing. And I, I witnessed that many, many times. Even on Rainbow, I have colleagues who come ask me questions about things they had no clue about. Things like Parkinson's disease, things like multiple sclerosis. They, they said, oh, I'll just look it up. You know, I'll just do the best I can. And that was their mindset. And it's still the mindset today, believe it or not. Wow. It, it throughout uh, VA shines a light on the uh, the issues around the VA in general, right? Like this, this is so insightful because I, I think a lot of folks like our audience who are veterans or military spouse have at one point or another struggled to interface with VA. And so this is really insightful when you got into that, that arena, what, what sort of things were you faced with that uh, you said, well, this has got to change because this seems like a great lead in into what you're doing now, your consultancy. Good question. So my initial my, 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 my initial uh, interaction with VA when I first came on board was I noticed when veterans got decisions, I started, I started VA way back in 2000, I think 99, 2000 time I came on board. And I noticed that they were sending veterans when they made a decision, they get this big, thick packet of things, of rules, regulations, things, and you couldn't make heads or tail. A veteran filed for a claim, couldn't make heads or tail on exactly if I got granted, denied, if I got Granted, when does it start? I mean, it was so much jargon in there. It was, wasn't clear to veterans. I said, we got to write clear, concise letters to these veterans and tell them exactly what we need. And that we got to grant, tell them grant, start off. We granted you and it starts this day. Fine. But we put all those other things in. They just murkiest the water and you got a very confused veteran. The second day I discovered that you can get out of the military. And most folks who serve in the military, you get an exit exam. You get an entrance exam, you get an exit exam. We were making veterans who were applying for benefits go to the VA hospital, going through a CMP process, and there's confident evidence from their from their discharge exam that could be rated from the time you file a claim. But VA decided, well, let's send them, let's have them get examined, let's have them get re-X-rayed, let's have them get a re-diagnosis again before we grant. So I took that as issue initially, and I you know I got a lot of pushback. I was told just to do my job <laughs> and leave the uh, legal to, you know, leave the process to, to people and hire up, you know, knowing me, the type of person I didn't, I didn't take heed to that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember getting written up because I asked a person, I was, I was at the DC office and I had a, um, I think it was a Sergeant major. He was retiring from the uh, army and he didn't have a copy of his discharge exam in his file. I called him up and, and he was in the area. He's okay, I'll just drop it off to you. I said, if you get the copy of this exam, I can go ahead and rate your claim. And so one of the supervisors overheard that, and I got written up because I was told to send that veteran a letter. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those, yeah, which, see, those are things. Which delays kind of, yeah, it. Which, it delays it's going to delay it. it. Right. You know, he's not even right. able to come in and get an examination if he didn't have exactly. the paperwork. The communication exactly. sometimes not clear. Exactly. It's so, so fascinating. I, I, I got, um, so I got surgery in Manama, Bahrain. You were talking about Bahrain earlier. And, and I tried to uh, put a claim in for a 10% disability because I lost feeling due to that surgery. The doctor, we could spend all day about this, but it was crazy. And I, I submitted twice and the claim was denied. And they asked, uh, you know, why do you feel like you get this disability? I'm like, well, I was told if you got out of the military with scars you didn't have before, you're entitled to some sort of benefit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I just found the whole process 
uh, disenfranchising. It was cumbersome. It was it was lengthy. And, and this is everything you're saying. I'm just like replaying it in the back of my head of all the things I went through to, to do exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's exactly. so frustrating. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why I, I started. That's why I, I actually, I, I resigned. Um, I just oh, wow. came in one day. I was walking up I Street. I've been, you know, the one who lives in D.C. I'm walking up I Street right before I got to the office there. And, and uh, I think I got an email from the director. And that she wanted to put everybody was going to do mandatory overtime on a Friday because she didn't get input on how we're going to decorate the employee lounge. Come on, I'm looking behind. I just stopped. I just stopped and I looked behind me and I'm seeing rows. That's time we had paper files in in the building. I'm just looking at rows and rows and rows of claims files. I said, "This person wants to talk about employee lounge." So (laughs) I just I sent her a nice little note, email, responded. Basically, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I said, I quit. Turned my PC off. Grabbed my son's picture off my desk. I was out the door. Wow. That's exactly how I quit. That's exactly how I left VA. I said, this is, I did not sign on for this. Yeah. Anyway, I, I had no idea I would get into this part of it. I just got kind of pulled into it by me being a Raider. Kept getting a lot of calls from people. And I was doing a lot of consulting work. And somebody told me about being an, uh, an accredited agent. This was your background, which you already know. You can help veterans in a different way. And I it took me a couple of years to get some good traction. But I, where I am right now, we I just provide just like I just make that process less cumbersome to veterans. Let them know what exactly. So I, I know the playbook. So I, you know, I, and I know the process. So most veterans don't know the process, and they really don't know exactly why they get these letters. Once you file the claim, send us more evidence. You know, and you get these confusing statements, contradictory statements. So I kind of, you know, make that pathway a little smoother for them so they know exactly what's needed. And if they don't have what's in that file they're trying to claim, they may have sent them. That's well, here's I want you to go see your doctor. Here's what I need for you to get established. I understand, yeah, you more likely have all this, but if VA is going to deny this because they don't have a clear-cut diagnosis. So I want you to get a diagnosis. And anyway, they file a claim, they get granted. So it just make the... And just enlighten them to make the process look clear and better for them. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And uh, so we're going to take a quick little break. We've been talking to Larry Stokes of LSA Consulting. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. We'll be right back. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. And we're back. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. I'm uh, listening. We've been talking to Larry Stokes from LSA Consulting about sort of how he got into this uh, this business of helping veterans navigate what is just such a cumbersome, pain in the ass, if we're being frank, uh, ecosystem with the VA. So you've got LSA Consulting. 
When you started this business, what was it that you, you, I mean, it's obviously you knew what your why was, right? This is why I'm getting into, because this process sucks. But uh, how did you find clients? Like, how, how did you know who you were going to serve? <laughs> well, the, actually, the clients found me. Honestly, the clients, they found me. The initial yeah. people found me. They heard of me, and it was that word of mouth. I believe when I initially started this, I went to a, um, a tap briefing at Andrews. And um, one of the attendees there, I had some business cards made up, told him what, you know, who I was, what I did in the VA. And he was, was so excited about that. He took a whole handful of cars and, and he literally started passing them out to anybody, everybody he knew was going through this process. Yeah. And my first few clients came from his referrals and, and, uh, and we started being effective. We started getting people uh, grants and, and that word of mouth, I haven't, you know, never, ever advertised, you know, uh, I've been doing this. Everything came through word of mouth. You know, that veteran network is a very, very, deep deep network and and if you if you you know if you and if you get results and you're effective you know veterans gonna come yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i mean my very first case i won i just i thought and i thought actually i went to my first board of veteran appearance veteran uh, veteran appeals hearing here in dc and i just thought i was inadequate i didn't think i was up to you know up to the challenge um but I did. I was I was uh, representing a widow of a Vietnam vet. Oh wow! And this was my first case for a ministry law judge, and it just you know some things are natural that fit. <laughs> so I, I I provide I tell the veteran story so you know the judge can, you know can be clear that these conditions happen. This was trying to get this widow's benefit because the veteran suffered a, uh, a you know a, tra- a traumatic. Uh, illness in, in Vietnam. Uh, hmm. um, I think I'll, not a bomb, but a, he landed on a, he got hit in the chest, hmm. uh, an explosive device. So anyway, came back from in the seventies with lungs missing, it was very severely wounded. And uh, anyway, she was being denied benefits because the veteran he died uh, two years prior to his rating being yeah in the being in effect for the perfect amount of time for her to receive benefits. And I just started going through the record and it just hit me that this guy, and here we are, this was in, in 2002. Oh, wow. And I just thought this guy got out of, you know, he left Vietnam in, the, in 71. And, and I thought about his injury. And I said, no way this guy ever worked. It was impossible. And I brought that to the attention of the judge. So they did never consider the fact he was unemployable from the time he came back to the States. He, he never worked. And PA did not consider that time. So, so what happened? The widow, not only did she get service, I mean, she get uh, BIC benefits. She wound up getting a retroactive pay for him for that time frame. The VA did not pay him, so she wound up getting over thirty thousand dollars in addition to her to her benefit that wow. she didn't didn't know was coming. So, and that's really nothing you know, compared to the thirty plus years that they were without yes, pay. With that, I mean, not only the not only the physical suffering, the mental suffering, and then the financial toll. So, exactly, exactly. So, I can't yeah, even that's, imagine. That's, that's started, yeah, and yeah. That, that, that pretty much started the ball for me. That started that one win. Uh, just it just started something to me, and I just got more involved in it. And yeah, it was it wasn't easy. Like I said, clients, you know. It came few and sporadic. I was I did a lot of footwork. Sure. What did <laughs> I you went do to about meetings? Business? I was at workshops. Yeah. What did you know about business at, at that time? 
zero. <laughs> I learned everything yeah. on the, I, I, the, you know, developing the LLC, all that I learned, you know, I, I, I learned on the fly. Um, wow. I just put my face in that for certain workshops, certain people, and I just learned as I went. I, you know, went through some issues. Trust me, there was major issues, yeah. But, um, you know, things work their way out. If you're doing things for the right reason, if you got a good business model and your your rationale, for, you know, for what you're doing is there, uh, yeah. yeah, things work out. And mine was I just want to help these veterans in a way that nobody else was helping them. One, I know the medical side of the house. Two, I know the legal side. I know the, how the ratings process work. And nobody ever brought those two pieces together to help them in a way to help them understand this whole process and know exactly, you know, what, what needs to be in place for them in order for them to receive the sure. benefit they seek and, and changing their mindset. I get a lot of veterans who don't feel they're entitled. I'd say, no, you're not standing in line for government cheese. Yeah. I say, you raise your hand so you're going to support and defend this constitution. You know, don't ever feel like you stand in line for government cheese. And that's the way VA makes these veterans feel yeah. like they asking for a handout. I see the same thing. I see this. Yeah, I see the same thing in the tech field with people not using their 9-11 GI Bill, not using vet tech, not using specific. But, and, you know, I kind of went through this, too, because I talked about this with Lito, who was on our mental health um, podcast. But we, we talked about the legitimacy piece of whether, you know, when you're a reservist or when you're National Guard, you kind of tell yourself, well, I wasn't active duty, so therefore I don't deserve such and such. Or I wasn't part of the bigger war, so I don't deserve such and such. And then you see these Vietnam vets that also say the same thing i was a vietnam era veteran not a vietnam veteran because they don't feel like i wasn't on the front lines but that doesn't negate the fact that you served that you still went through difficulties um specific challenges that may have led to uh you know disability and needing to to use those benefits to kind of get yourself integrated back into society as best you can you know because that never really leaves you um, but tell me a little bit about like some challenging cases that you know that you've that you've run into. Any specific legal challenges or things that you had to figure out on your own how to navigate the system? Yes, um, <laughs> I've had, it's, it's so many. I've, I've, you know, of course, since the business I've been in almost fourteen years now, um, the ones that kind of really stand out to me, and it's not only were they challenging, it was just to me, um, it just my mindset after representing these guys was just kind of knowing what our government was doing to these people who said they're going to support and defend this constitution. You got people, folks back here waving the red flag and said we're supporting veterans and nobody knows specifically what these veterans are going through. So one case stands out. I had to represent a 93 year old World War II veteran. Mm. And I just, I thought that was just a slap in the face. Mm. Um, this guy, went in the military in the 40s 40s mm. he was the only he was the only african-american on the ship mm. uh, that he was on uh, he was on board the only one um and the things that he went through he couldn't eat his meals on the mess deck he couldn't sleep with everybody else i mean he's being called names but he stayed and you know he stayed on board that ship and did his did his job and so, anyway, being inside the gun tear, every time the gun went off, it was causing a lot of anxiety. It caused him hearing loss. Mm. And he came out having an ulcer disease, and which he was told when he exited that that was just told him to suck it up mm. and you'll be fine. So, so imagine that. I met this guy years later in his 90s. And I'm looking through this file. I, the note was there. The doctor wrote that note. He wrote, but this 
can, what his symptoms were and, and based on, you know, he, he will get better. Oh man. And so anyway, just, just, you know, and I told the judge, I said, the fact that I'm here at this hearing trying to convince you that this 93 year old World War II combat veteran deserves mm-hmm. these benefits is, I mean, I'm, I'm outraged. Mm. I said, the fact that we even have him go through a hearing, a World War II veteran that yeah. we cherish as our greatest generational warriors, if, you know, and if, you know, somebody at a lower level than, concede and say, okay, let's give this guy complete benefit of doubt. I say, even if we were wrong, this guy is 90 years old, 93 years old, and we put him through this. Yeah. That's what message are we sending to our younger vets mm-hmm. who serve? And we can't even give benefit of doubt to a nine, even, you know, 93 years old. I, said, I thought that was outright. Anyway, you know, we, we, we won, but the fact that if it wasn't for me, this guy would still be in New Orleans and, and still without benefits. I mean, the fact that your you business exa- exists at all tells you enough that mm-hmm. there's a need there for somebody to be an advocate for these folks that don't know how to advocate for themselves. Like there's an entire business structure, ecosystem that exists. And the reason it exists is because the system is broken. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't broken, maybe these systems would still exist, but not to the degree at which they're, they're, they are there now. Right. 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 Exactly. I've had people as, you know, even this guy, I, I, I had a, a three-star Marine Corps general come to me. He said, and he was the assistant NATO commander. <laughs> he oh, came wow. to me and I assisted him. He said, look, I, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a fairly intelligent man. I've commanded a lot of troops. He said, I cannot make heads or tail of this VA system here. Mm-mm. And I helped him do his claim. So I've had folks from, from stars on, you know, all the way down to an E1 uh, with the same complaints. So I let you know there's something wrong with this process. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. something, there's something inherently wrong with this process. It should not be this tough. It should not be this hard. How much of your time do you spend advocating outside of the VA system for people that could affect the or, or maybe help improve the system itself? Yeah, that's a good question as well. So I, as me being in DC, I, uh, I'm I frequently, when a certain case, certain things, issues come up, I reach out to certain uh, uh, senators and congressmen and, and try to, you know, enlighten them on things and try to, you know, get things changed. So I've been to many roundtable discussions on the Hill. Uh, we got one now going on that I don't know if a lot of your, your, your listeners probably know about. VA is changing our policy. Uh, several years ago, veterans had the ability to to present their own medical evidence in the form of a disability benefit questionnaire. So mm-hmm. some few months ago, VA decided to take those forms off of their website. So they no longer wanted veterans to use those forms to take to their doctor Ooh. to document their condition so they can file a fully, what we call a fully developed claim. So they took it down. So now they only want veterans to only go to the VA doctor, the VA CMP evaluation, which is not a good process. Right. So they want to control. They want to control the narrative. Of what happens in these claims? So anyway, reached out to a f- couple of people on the hill, and and I understand as a you know when Congress when they come back that this thing is up for a vote to put those forms back online and have they consider uh, veterans submitted evidence. You know, nowhere in the law says you have to have a VA exam. It just says you have to submit competent medical evidence, and VA skirts around that issue. If you don't go to their CMP evaluation. And they tell you this, they'll try to deny your claim. 
And your hope says, well, if you want this thing to go through, you got to file an appeal. And then the appeal to let some administrative law judge say, tell the regional office, yes, that is competent evidence. You will consider it. But hmm. you three, four, five years in the process. You know, in the, in the academic environment, when you write a journal, right, it's peer reviewed. And they purposely pick people that can independently test and verify your hypothesis. And I'm, it just boggles my mind. And it's honestly, I feel like this episode is just one of those really emotional episodes for me, because not only have I gone through this process, but I see it happening to my son. I see it happening to friends of mine that are veterans that are struggling. I mean, really, really struggling. They cannot work or they're constantly at risk of um, homelessness, unemployment, um, substance abuse issues because of the fact that they don't feel empowered. And, you know, like, what bothers me is the story of like limiting medical care, right? So you can only get rated by a VA physician. The, the lines are long. You, you're put on the, well, we, we're going to do the x-ray. We don't see anything on the x-ray. Okay, well, we're not, we're going to deny the MRI. And then if you need to see a specialist, well, that will take another 10 months or so. Yeah. Um, the problem is there's no peer review. There's no there's no other medical professional out there that they will accept to say, okay, but well we since you're not seeing the VA, you can have any substantiated medical claim by a licensed doctor or clinician that can verify your symptoms, and so everything's right. kind, of, kind of controlled. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm wondering like. What what would you do? How how would somebody go through a case with you if they have a really difficult case or a complex case? Like what's expected of them to produce? So when I get a case on, if they come to me, I, you know, and I make it, I try to make things very convenient for my clients. So I get them to fill out an appointment of representative. That does not obligate them anything. I said I need that so I can review your file, review what's in the system, and then we can have a very specific conversation about how I can help. If they don't have things there. I make suggestions to them before they file a claim so they don't get denied. Um, so uh, even in the complex case, we, we will give them advice on, on how they need to move forward. Whether they move forward with me, you know, a lot of people, well, you're putting that information out, they can take it so well. It's fine. And typically, typically I, I typically see those folks that come back, but I, but I give them a pathway you know, to to file a claim if they do it on their own, if they do it with someone else, or if they go with me. Um, but I find out based on how things are going with me. You know, folks will always come. You know, they will always seek, come back and seek my services or refer people back. So, you know, if they do and they and if they're and if it's helpful and they're able to succeed and get their benefits, great. I got a, you know I got a veteran who serves. I got someone who served and got service connected for something they felt was related to service. That was my goal from the beginning. So, and, and along, you know, when I got into this initially, I, you know, I look at, you know, not two veterans are alike, not two stories are alike. Um, I had a veteran, it's funny, we was talking about that. I had a guy today reminded me today uh, why I was doing, why I got into this field. Because I was kind of questioning, I kind of had a recent tragedy in my family, lost my father, and I was really kind of, my head was not completely back in my business. Mm-hmm. And I had a veteran today, a 75-year-old today, kind of remind me, anyway, had a, I had a meeting with him. He wanted to know how his PO was going. I, I remember having a hearing for him just about two weeks ago. And I, before I called him up on the phone, I just had to look in the system uh, to see what was going on. I noticed the VA made a decision on his claim. And this individual, 75, he's taking care of a disabled spouse. 
uh, in hospice has an eviction notice on his door. They got to be out of their house, their apartment by 1 p.m. today. Oh. It's happened today. And so when I looked at there and I glanced down, we got a, we, VA made us, we got a grant. Not only did we get a grant, this guy got a $40,000 retro payment. Oh, wow. man. You just kept that guy in the and house. So I, yep. He just kept him in his house. I mean, I listened to the 75 year old man just broke down and cried like a baby. Yeah. That's amazing. He just cried. And, I, and that triggered of my brain. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the reason. That's the purpose. That's amazing. So, yeah. So, yeah. Larry, when, when a so, veteran comes to you and says, Hey, I, I need help. I, I, you know, like this gentleman here, I, I don't know where else to turn. How do they engage you with their services and what can they expect as far as like monetary compensation for your time? So when they, when they come to me, uh, you know, we do an intake. I have, uh, yeah. I have intake folks and I have, and I, and I sign them a case manager. So typically once I, we, we do a complete file review, as I said, and then we decided for, they engage into an agreement that I'm do for services. Uh, and every service is different from homeless vets to elderly to people who can, there's some people can afford some people who cannot in the pandemic, people not working. I don't turn anybody away. We, we work, you know, we'll work things out. I do have a, a, a flat fee, but I tell folks depends on their particular situation. We, you know, you know, we, we, we can make a range of them. So nobody, nobody ever let, is not use my service because they cannot afford to pay. Never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's never right. They came for us and we will work something out. And of all the folks I've helped, and it's been in the thousands now, it's only a few that has not abided by the agreement. And I'm okay with those numbers, honestly. <laughs> you know, if, if you look at the, 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 the effective rate and the win rate and what, these, what I'm doing to get these people benefits opposed to the ones who kind of, you know, there's no 100% foolproof system. Somebody goes, go kind of circumvent your system, but there's so few. I mean, it's a small handful opposed to the number I have, so I don't even worry about that anymore. So they come, whatever their story is, we do everybody by the sliding scale. So mm-hmm. I have one set standard. So whether they can pay fine or they cannot, then they, they tell me what they can, what they cannot do, and we go from there. But we typically don't turn anybody away. Hmm. I love that. Anybody tonight. away. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> if anybody's listening, yeah, we don't turn anybody. Sometimes I wonder, do I got too many folks? But no, I, I tend to get a lot of folks who wants to help. And I turn those folks into case managers. So I got advocate, you know, I got people sub advocating in my service. So uh, I'll get a client, I'll do a review. Then I get somebody who actually handles that veteran one-on-one nice. so not like people like wait well i don't hear from larry no i, I give them a dedicated uh what i call a case manager yeah a case manager keeps them informed let them know what's going on if i need anything they'll they keep me informed if a letter come from va any time deadline so it's it's one of the things you know this plan i didn't i didn't write out yeah yeah it's developed you mentioned about a plan of my business model mm-hmm. that's kind of developed from that if when i started getting a lot of clients and i could not couldn't be in all these places at the same time. Right. And I started getting individual people that I trained, you know, to kind of keep people informed, know exactly what I need. And the, and, the, and the veteran can have somebody they can reach out at any time. You know, and every, yeah, every, every episode we ask this of our, our founder guests. And um, it's always the same response that we get is they really struggle to pick just one, but what, what do you think's the, the thing that you learned the, the thing that you messed up so bad that it could have scuttled your entire business, the thing that you learned that you said, I'll never, that I'll never do that again. 
Wow. Um, I wish I had listened in the beginning when I started this business, uh, uh, far as taking out, um, I was told to take out a business loan, you know, to cover, you know, look at my expenses six months or a year down the road. I mean, I kind of didn't do it. Didn't take that a good <laughs> advice. And we struggled so bad that we almost had to close our doors. Literally I almost had to close my doors because I couldn't afford to keep the lights on. I couldn't afford to pay the little staff I had. And I had this, and it just so happened, I had this one real big win uh, for my BVA case and just kind of kept me going for a couple more months. So I started to put things in place, like putting the business plan and getting the, 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 the financial backing to cover my basic expenses down the road uh, in light of things going up and down. So probably more financially stable or using better, if, um, uh, taking more, taking heed to that advice and try to do that on my own uh that kind of almost yeah it almost kind of made me close doors permanently so uh yeah just getting better being in a better financial picture or at least know what your resources are i you know what my resources were and to do it after the fact it just makes things tough yeah i mean you you have a lot of sleepless nights you don't know how to then <laughs> i get out here say, oh man I, I left this well-paying job i'm out here yeah I'm, and i'm not a young man <laughs> i'm not a 20 30 mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in my 40s doing this oh man so i yeah it was, it was tough i was out I, I had to humble myself sure oh sure. yeah I, oh, I had to humble myself yeah i went through the first... same thing i didn't start my business until after 30 and uh you know a lot of it was spent as a single parent um, you know, right. just getting out of the service. There was a lot of transition. There's a lot I didn't know. I still don't know. <laughs> it's constant learning you game. Learn. Yeah. You keep learning. And if folks don't believe, I, I actually was, I myself was homeless for about three days oh, wow. behind this. Three days. I slept in my car. Wow. wow. Yeah, you've got... I was home. I was just, You've got that personal experience. You know, you you are in the care profession, to be honest. You're not in the legal profession. You're in the care profession. And I still see the same corpsman, the Navy corpsman that served other people, that patched up other people's wounds. You're still doing that today. And, you know, I can imagine that not only are you fighting and advocating for your clients, for these veterans, but you're doing a lot of care. You're, you're kind of trying to keep them um, uplifted and give them hope. Um, and, you know, even it dep- even if they don't get the rating or, or they do win, like, how do you keep yourself afloat? How do you care for yourself, even though you're caring for everybody else? <laughs> That's what lately, what I've been doing is take a little more time to myself. Uh, I'll take a little more frequent I'm an avid golfer. <laughs> so okay. I have, I, I had that one day, whether it's a Monday or or Friday, that I'll yeah, at least pay nine holes, no matter where I'm at. I don't care if it's in, in cold weather. I will pay either nine or eighteen holes <laughs> of golf either on Monday or Friday, <laughs> regardless. Yes. That way, and I like the golf because it gives me a chance to relax my mind and think about my business while while I'm doing this. And uh, so it's kind of relaxing at the same time. I'm just taking slowing things down just a little bit, sure. but I'm just kind of getting away for a minute. Before it was just. Like I said, when you start, it's just 24 hours a day. You just kind of constant boom, 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 and you don't take that time, and you will, you know, you 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 you'll break down because yeah. <laughs> it will come. It will be too much. So I learned that over the years. I learned to take more and more time to myself, which I didn't do in in, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that let you know, as you said, I was I was a single parent for 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 a minute myself. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's tough. You got to balance. And I had sure. a small child. I'm, I'm 40. 
I'm 40 years old with a, with a young child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So if you would have realized that, yeah, I, I was, I, I retired from the military only to have a young child <laughs> to take care. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's kind of, yeah, it can be a humbling experience though, but yeah, to go back and redo it, I was just, I would probably list, yield to more advice about looking, you know, kind of anticipating things sure. and putting things in place if it's possible. You know, no, and I'm not, I was at mindset. I didn't want to go into debt. I'll just do this. I'm, I'm thinking everybody's gonna once they find out what I what I'm doing, they they gonna call me up. You know, I should have no problem with clients, but no, yeah, you know, it doesn't work all that way. Then, then you, you you'll get paid. You'll win a case. You'll get paid, and a client will come to you. Then you, I used to go several months, <laughs> mm-hmm. nothing's coming in, yeah. several months. Until you know the gap started to close and it started going down. The months started reduce, reduce, reduce. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it, Larry, it takes a minute. Larry, we only have a few more minutes, but I wanted to kind of talk about what do you where do you see your company being in the next five to ten years? Like, what aspirationally, where do you hope it 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 goes? Aspiration, I hope it go definitely go is we always we pretty much nationwide, but I want to go more more. You know, I want to get in areas where veterans don't have a lot of support. There's a lot of these rural communities trying to find and we trying to do some thing with basic with what's going on with COVID now and everybody, you know, doing virtual. So we're trying to do a lot more reaching folks in these rural communities who don't have the access, who I can reach to as well by holding, you know, meetings and Zoom meetings and workshops, not not only here, but abroad as well. I was just informed a couple of months ago this veterans and working in many countries who don't really have that access to good advice on how to file a claim or that process. Right. It's one thing that veterans need to know that process. So when they get denied, a lot of them, the first inclination is, oh, I'm done with them, throw it away. And and this me just kind of, kind of putting, you know, let them know this is a process. Sometimes it works. It can be short. Sometimes it can be long. But so we will get to that final, we, we will get to that end point. Right. You know, I just have to keep them, you know, I can keep them hopeful. A lot of times they get denied and they go to one level here and they go to another and they get so discouraged. And mm-hmm. and me, I, I, I know the pathway down the road. I know now you got to go claim. Despite VA is denying them in these intermediate process, I know we got a good claim. Yeah. And we just got to, we got to, we, we have to weigh this out. It's not, it's not time to know the pull up anchor and, and, and give up. Yeah. We're not going to okay. throw our hands up. We're going to see this through. Love so, you, snuck a Navy pun, yeah. pun in there, by the way. Uh, where can people find you online? <laughs> <laughs> they can find me at uh, at lsaconsulting.org. Nice. www.lsaconsulting.org. Larry, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and, and your story and your business. Congratulations on all your success. I'm sure there's much more we could talk about, especially with the, within the VA ecosystem, and would love to have you back sometime to, to really dive into that. Thank you, and I, I want to thank you again for the invite. This is a, oh, uh, this is you know, this is definitely my pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Cynthia. Have a good week, and you we'll too. see you next week, right? Thanks, Larry, for being here. I'm so inspired by your story and all of the the clients you serve and the veterans, and I really hope to hear more success stories from you in the future. All right, thank you again. Yeah. Hey, everybody, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, get stuff done. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.